Hello and welcome to the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Here you can listen in on discussions with volunteer firefighters in Wisconsin and across the nation. Hear their stories, learn about the communities they serve, and what it takes to be a volunteer firefighter. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Today I talk with Mark Hill. Mark has an impressive 20-year public service career where he held positions as a teacher, coach, principal, firefighter, engineer, and a fire chief for both volunteer and career departments. He has an Amazon book that's a bestseller called Too Dark 30. It includes true stories to inspire teaching and learning in our local heroes. Mark's qualifications include a master's degree in educational leadership, and he has numerous state and national certifications as a fire instructor, firefighter and paramedic, and incident commander. In this episode, you'll learn more about Mark and his background, and you get to hear us discuss about the importance of training and teaching in the fire service. This is Dan from the Forward Firefighter Podcast. Welcome, and today my special guest is Mark Hill. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we're filming this online today. I'm, I'm here in my uh, home office in Columbus. And where are you located today? I live up in Rib Mountain, which is just outside of Wausau, Wisconsin. So a couple hours north of you. Okay. Very cool. Um, so as we, we start getting things going here, uh, why don't we kick things off by just saying uh, what you're all about and um, uh, what your role is in the fire service and kind of how you got to be to where you are today. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I never intended on being a firefighter. Really? No. My dad was a volunteer firefighter, and um, he. I grew up doing all kinds of stuff you know, with him in the firehouse. That was up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And, uh, you know, I spent numerous Saturday mornings rolling hose and uh, being tied up, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. firemen carries and firemen knots and rescue knots and uh, riding the fire truck during the, the good old days when you could ride the fire truck and throw candy. You know, right, it wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't uh full pie and I don't know where these are legal issues that we might have to contact a lawyer about. Not the UP. That's still, you're still good to go. You're, you can on that fire truck no, no matter what. So they still, they still throw candy at the parade. They still up there? throw candy and they, yeah, they still allow people to ride on the fire truck and, and throw the candy, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. They still actually up in, this is up in Nagani. So. Um, for years, I I can't tell you if it's still the case, but up until a few years ago, I knew they still, when you got a fire call in that station, they would still run the bell siren that would project, you know, like the, like a, like a tornado siren. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. It would still, you know, ring in the town. So yeah, if you heard the bell, you would still, that was the way that, cause that was tradition. So you ran or you went to the, you know, the firehouse, you know, and, uh, took care of business. But yeah, no, I grew up in the firehouse and my dad was, uh, he was big into the fire stuff. He tried numerous times, uh, taking tests back in the eighties, you know, trying to get on Detroit and, you know, some of the other fire departments that were full time okay. in Michigan. Uh, he tested a couple times down here in Wisconsin, but he, 
they never he it was one of those things back in the 80s when you had thousands of people apply and a lot of it had to do with if you were a former military you'd get bonus points you know it's like anything a lot of but yeah, who you know and you know if you had relatives there also you know a lot of that stuff helps out we got it let's be honest it does yeah, so yeah. you know he didn't have anybody didn't know anybody and he was just trying to get in and yeah it just it never happened for him uh to be full-time but he was volunteer for gosh 20 plus years um okay. went through the ranks actually and he ended up being a lieutenant and uh and some other things but um so i did i grew up in the firehouse had my birthday parties at the firehouse. Had, you know, my Cub Scout meetings were at the firehouse because my dad was my Cub Scout leader, of course. And you know, mm-hmm. riding on the trucks and doing all that stuff. And you know, I, I loved the, you know, the nostalgia. You know, the smell of the firehouse. You know, the smell, the slate, the slate burn. You know, smell of of hoses and you know the the slate of that rubbery kind of. You know, there's this that certain tinge. You know, that's just wafting in the air in a firehouse. You know. And, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I love that. I do. I still love it. You know, you, you walk in, you're like, "Yep, yeah, it smells like a firehouse." You know, smells, <laughs> there's some action here. You know, there's there's been some stuff. Like my station smells more like diesel fumes than actual. <laughs> you know, the smell of smoke. But <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, I I mean, I grew up in it, and I I always wanted to, to I always wanted to be a part of it. But I went to college and my dad's like, no, you're not, you're going to go to school and you're not going to be a knuckle dragger, you know, as, as, <laughs> as he's, you know, as he said. So I uh, went to school, uh, went into engineering, uh, not a math guy. So uh, that did not go well for me. Uh, transferred into, <laughs> I was taking, it was funny because I, it, it, when I was failing, well, I shouldn't say failing. I was just, I wasn't technically failing. I was getting D's and C's. In uh, you know, calc four differential equations and you know, introduction to circuits and ohm resistance and th- you know, oh, things yeah. that are really important. You gotta you know, you, things you gotta know to you know, build computers. I guess actually, I wasn't looking to build a circuit board, but background information. And uh, to offset my bad grades, I was taking social studies courses because I was always okay. really good at you know U.S. history and world history and geography, and I I always liked that stuff so had a coming to Jesus meeting with my electrical engineering advisor. And, uh, he's like, Mark, do you, uh, you want to get out of here? I'm like, yeah, I, you know, would like to graduate, you know, that's the goal. Right. He's like, well, you need to, uh, you need to go into something else. Cause this is, this is not for you. And I'm like, well, I, I, I yeah, I totally agree with you. <laughs> this is not for me. You know, he's like, you've taken so many credits in, you know, social studies and the social sciences. He's like, why don't you transfer to be a teacher? I'm like, well, I suppose I, I guess I could, you know? So I, and that was, and and I, this was year, you know, two and a half going into year three, you know, going into my junior year of college. And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, I got, you know, in five years, I got a four year degree from, (laughs) from Michigan tech, um, got my bachelor's, did my student teaching, did all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I started student teaching at West Appear High School, just outside of Green Bay. Sure. I taught ninth grade uh, global history, which was fun. And I coached football, um, which was awesome. And then uh, when I graduated, my, I'm, you know, my wife now at the time, girlfriend, um, she was from Wausau. 
So we were looking for um, jobs down here. And I found a job. I taught. I started teaching at uh, Anago High School. Okay. Uh, just a little, yeah, it's like 50, 50 minutes north of, of Wausau. So I started teaching uh, 11th uh, junior U.S. history and then um, ended up teaching a remedial section of senior U.S. history for some of the juniors that didn't make it through the first time. They had to take it as a required subject for in Wisconsin. So um, taught that, taught geography, taught uh, economics, um, did that for numerous years. I was a football coach, head girls track coach. It was fantastic. Okay. Um, but budgets <laughs> and uh you know things of that nature i got a prelim i got a preliminary layoff notification every single year i taught every year i got because you got, just sign up as a con yearly contract right well it's, it's, yeah because the way that was and you know this is bad you know 20 years ago now mm-hmm. um you the way that the way the system usually was back then was you had a you got a preliminary layoff notification. Everybody did. That was even close to being on the bubble. And um, they would make the final decisions about the budget come like April. Um, so that's when you'd get an official notification that, yep, you are going to get laid off. So at, at that time, uh, I got a phone call from the principal at the middle school, called me in my office at the high school and uh, said, Hey, Mark, um, there's a job that I know that's going to open up down at Wittenberg. I think you should apply. I'm like, Oh, are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) You know, he's like, just, you should call them, call them up. Tell them I called. Okay. So, and that's exactly what happened. They, they reduced a position at the middle school. And then he, because of seniority, bumped me out of my job at the high school. So yeah, I, I, that was it. I was out. I, did what he said. I called down Wittenberg, uh, which is about a half hour south of Anago. And I said, Hey, I, you know, such, such told me to give you guys a call. You know, you may have an opening. And they said, yes, actually we have an opening at semester for a middle school teacher. And I said, Oh, okay. It's fantastic. So I applied, got the job and, uh, started teaching down there. And that was great because that's, you know, I went from teaching, you know, 11th and 12th graders to teaching 6th and 7th graders, mm-hmm. you know, which is funny. And we can talk about that, like the differences in people, no matter what age you are, you know, I'll be honest with you, people, kids are kids and some kids just don't grow up and they turn out to be, you know, 70 years old. So yeah, uh, sometimes I think we're just kids driving around big fire trucks. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what a lot of it is. I mean, you know, you reach a certain maturity level and, you know, for guys, it's like, yeah, this is, this is, I'm good. I'm comfortable where this is, you know, I don't want to take any more responsibility. So, you know, people are always like, Oh, how, how different was it? And it's like, you know what? It really wasn't different at all. It really wasn't between middle and high school. It really, I didn't, I didn't see a huge difference. I mean, yeah, obviously they're older and, you know, you know, if you're coaching, yeah, there's a big difference between a sixth grade boy and a 12th grade boy (laughs) develop development, you know, physically, you know, what, you know, from the football team. Yeah. I'm going to expect more of a 12th grader than a sixth grader, but, um, maturity level and things like that, it's pretty darn close. Those, those seniors liked making sugar cube castles just as much as a sixth grader liked making sugar cube castles. So. I taught it, I taught the middle school there for a number, and then the opposite happened. 
they made cuts at the high school and I got bumped out of my job at the middle school. So, yeah. So that was in 2010 when Act 10 all went through and I uh, got rid of a lot of the seniority rights, things like that here in Wisconsin. And um, I had got my master's degree in education at the time to be a principal. That was, that was the, that was the idea. Right. And mm-hmm. I'd done all my principalships. I did all my, you know, um, all my work to be a principal with summer school principal, things like that. And how most things go, a lot of the jobs are people that are already in the district. And that's how it really should be, right? You want to promote the people that you have already there. So I couldn't couldn't find a job anywhere because everyone was getting promoted internally. Or at that time, they still had double dipping. So you could have a principal that would retire. They'd wait. I forget what it was. It was like two or three months. And then they'd reapply. And then the district would hire them without paying them benefits and with reduced really? salary. So they would collect their pension and get half salary at the same time. Oh. So if you're a district, <laughs> why hire you know why hire this new guy that you're going to have to pay more and give him bennies versus we get a 30 year you know employee that has a veteran experience that we only have to half pay and no bennies. So it's right. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one not to you know it's a it's a hard thing to you know oh, they've changed that rule now you can no longer do that but. Um, at the time that that's that's what it was so at the same time that i was doing all my teaching i was a volunteer firefighter and um i started doing that up in anago and i was on langley county rural fire control which is still in existence um we it was a not a county run even though county is in the name it wasn't a county uh, system um it was actually a cooperation between at the time three different uh, townships that got together that were just outside of Anago um, that came to pool their resources among the three townships and they would split the cost basically. Okay. So um, it was like, a, was it a district or was it like a private? It was, um, a, it was, it was more like a district. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But um, was on that for a number of years while I was, while I was teaching in Anago. Um, and then when I moved down to Wittenberg, I was still in the department. Uh, we had built a house in Anago anyway, so I was still in the department for many years. And then we moved um, because at the time, you know, driving half an hour and gas being at that time was over four bucks a gallon and I had an F-150. So I was, you know, I was getting like 12 miles a gallon and, you know, cat couldn't pass a gas station. So. <laughs> it was getting to be a real expensive driving around. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this. So we moved to Rib Mountain and I got on the Rib Mountain fire department and Rib Mountain was, it was volunteer. Um, they had a few paid people. Um, they were a paramedic level service. So they, so when I was on RFC, we were just first responders. Um, that was our level. Um, besides obviously the fire stuff, but, um, mm. Uh, and I had my EMT at the time. So before I was doing the first responding and now when I came down here to Rip Mountain, they actually had an ambulance and things like that. So um, their battalion chiefs were basically the full-time medic is how okay. they on that system. So you'd had, you had three battalion chiefs and then a chief and all those four people were the only full-time people. 
So um, that's how that kind of said everybody else. We were all, all the rest of us were either, you know, well, I mean, I say volunteer. We all got, we got paid an hour. I mean, if you want to true, you know, the true definition of volunteer, like out in Pennsylvania and New York, where no, we we're hundred percent volunteer. We don't get any money. Um, there's still, I mean, there's a few departments that are like that. There was um, a couple departments when I was on rural fire control that still, they didn't pay. Um, if you came to a call, you got points. Mm. They did the point system. And, you know, at the end of the year, they'd have a banquet. And during that banquet, you could turn your points in to get raffle prizes. Kind really? of that was how they, that's which interesting, you know, if you had so many points, you could get in for the big screen TV or you get in for the shotgun or, you know, whatever. But that's, that's how they did it. I and mean, it was a true volunteer system. And, uh, we got paid hourly, um, when we went to a call, that was, that was the thing we didn't get paid, um, outside of that. Sure. Uh, when I came down to rib mountain, um, we would get paid hourly, and then they also, because they staffed an ambulance, um, we had a part-time um, situation. So if you were at the fire station um, during your required shift, then you got paid. Um, if you were on call, then you got a reduced, it was like, I forget what it was. It was like a dollar eighty-five, two bucks to be on okay. call. And then if you, if a call came in during that time that you were on shift, on call, then you responded. Obviously, you had to make sure that you were available. Obviously, you know you had to an area too, so you get paid a little bit for that. And then when you responded, then you get your full hourly wage, whatever, whatever that was. Um, so that's how that system worked. So I was on I was on that for a number of years. Moved up through the ranks. Uh, ended up being an engineer. <laughs> At that time, I'm trying to think when this was. This is back in 20, uh, 2013, I think. 2012, 2013. So like three years after, you're kind of out of your main teaching yeah. gig. Yeah. And, I had, yeah, and so at that time, I'm like, well, I, like I said, I couldn't find, you know, couldn't find a job. Couldn't find a teaching job anywhere. I was, I was doing um, adjuncting at the community college here, North Central Tech. I'm just, you know, teaching sociology and race and ethnic diversity and you know u.s history and you know stuff like that which was all fun and so mm-hmm. teaching college level that was that was you know that was fun because that's a range of ages that you're going to get you know from 18 years old all the way to people who are going back to school when they're you know 50 plus so that, that was fun you know and again same kind of stuff people are people you know, maturity levels are about what they are. You know, the age is different, but you know what? Everyone's just—they're fine. You know, and uh, so that was fun. Um, got my paramedic at the time because I knew if I wanted to go into being a full-time firefighter, I needed to have my paramedic. Right. So, um, went back, did that—that which was one of the hardest things. I've ever had to do was get my medic because that was so outside my wheelhouse, you know, a- after being a teacher for, you know, over eight years and then getting my master's in education, you know, to be a principal. So you're learning budgeting and, you know, curriculum and all those different things. It's like, okay, now you're going to forget everything that you had just done and learned in the last 12 plus years, right? After college and everything else, you're going to go back. You're going to get this, you know, completely different thing, you know, and uh, I, it was, it, it, I, 
I'm still waiting for the national registry to send me a letter saying, now we screwed up. We, we, <laughs> you know, we, even though it's been now like, gosh, almost 10 years that I've had my medic license, even though you know, I'm still with that letter to come in the mail saying, yeah, we screwed your, your test score. You, know, you really didn't pass, you know, you, you fell through the cracks, Mark, but you, you know, <laughs> we missed you. And here you go. You're, you're no, you're done. You know? So, yeah, I don't yeah. think I've run into any paramedic who said, yeah, that test was a uh, cinch. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I've had a, there was a couple of guys in my class that were like, oh, that was easy. I was, I was like, whatever. Like, yeah, I was getting questions about fire ants and, you know, different freaking snake bites and stuff. I'm like, I have no idea. I didn't, I don't pay it. I didn't pay attention to that in the book because I don't have to worry about fire ants and, you know, the brown recluse bites and, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> Seriously, like this is a question you're gonna. And when people make fun of national registry questions, that's exactly what it is. It's like, what? Why don't you ask me something important? Why, why are you, why are you wasting a question on fire ants? You know, whether I know a fire ant, you know, bite. It's just like, what? That has nothing to do with anything here. So yeah, still waiting for that letter. So thankfully, that has not come in the mail yet. So uh, you know, at the same time, when all that went through. Um, a neighboring community to where we are here in Rib Mountain, Rothschild, um, their fire chief had died. Um, he was the line of duty. He uh, actually had a heart attack and after an EMS call. So he, he had recently passed and they had had, um, interim people and, you know, stuff like that within the, within that department for almost a year or so. And then they advertised that they were looking for a chief. So I'm like, well, you know what? It's like the lottery. Can't can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket so i threw my hat in the ring saying eh, let's let's try this you know yeah. so i threw my hat in the ring and uh for some reason they chose to hire me and i was the first full-time chief for the Rothschild fire department and uh yeah so we, that was a it, again it was a volunteer department i was the only full-time person they'd never had a full-time chief before so there was growing pains with that the staff they did run an ambulance. We were an EMT IV tech level at the time. Okay. Um, so, you know, setting the way back machine, it was IV tech, not I-99. It was an IV tech level and uh, starting IV, right? That was, that was basically. So all of us that were paramedics who obviously could do more, we couldn't act um, as a medic because that was not the license for the department we could right. be, you know we could start an iv and stuff like that but we couldn't do more than was uh, our scope of practice i was there for a year um had a lot of changes i mean it was, that was a hard that was hard because you're stepping in from someone that was beloved you know and right. part of diet you know um suddenly it's not you know and uh the bunting was still laying on the corner of the fire station when I did my tour in oh. that it was just like, Oh God, you know, talk about, oh talk about hindsight, you know, being 2020, it's like, man, you know, someone has to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like someone had to do, someone had to go in there and take that job, you know? And I was that dude. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, I think it's, hard enough just to join a department, you know, just a, a regular member joining a department and understanding the dynamics of how that department works and, and how everybody gets along and the culture of that department. 
I couldn't imagine just stepping in as, you know, chief from the outside to that. That's another challenge, another layer challenge on there. Yeah. And that, you know, and that was a lot of the issues that I was facing when I was chief there because, you know, I was the outsider, you know, here, <laughs> you know, here comes Mark from Rib Mountain Fire. You know, he's going to come tell us what we're doing wrong and, you know, how we're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he doesn't know how we do things here. And right. even though it's literally across the river and we've been on calls together, you know, um, it's still different. Yeah. You're still, you're still coming in from the outside. You're still, you know, you're not part of that family. And then you're trying to, so it's beyond hard coming in from the outside and then multiplying that with all the stuff of the death and the grieving and, you know, all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a sandwich that I chose to take a big bite out of and, uh, learned a lot. <laughs> I'll tell you, I learned a lot, learned a lot about, you know, a lot of different things, learned a lot about management, learned a lot about leadership, learned a lot about teaching, learned a lot about, you know, politics, mm. which people, you know, Politics is an is an unfortunate thing that's in everything, you know. It no is matter, yeah. no matter if you're just in business or if you're you know dealing with whatever it's you know. My my take on the fire chief role is you know maybe seventy five percent politics. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean I was I was over at the village hall, con, you know, every day, you know, having meetings and talking about different things, and you know, having people, you know just complaining about this and about that. And then, you know, you're trying to put out all these little fires, you know, before they become big ones. And then you're, you know, I'm going in there as the outsider and I'm looking at, you know, some of their SOPs and their SOGs and I'm looking at, you know, tools and equipment. And, you know, when was the last time these SCBA bottles were, you know, hydrostatted? And when was the last time you guys did hose testing? When the, when was the ladders, you know, all the, just little stuff. And, you know, records can't be found and it's just like, oh my God, you know, it's, then you can't ignore it because you, you know better, you know, it's, you can't just bury your head in the sand and be like, well, I'm just, it's been like this for 30, 40 years. I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not right. going to, and unfortunately I, I'm not, I'm not that type of person. I'm type A, you know, like most of us in this field are, you know, I'm the fixer, right? Yeah. I can't fix it. I'm going to freaking try as much as I can until it doesn't work. And then when it starts getting stripped, I'm just going to bull it down and I'm just going to force my way. To you. I don't care. This is, uh, this is our way. This is what's going at, you know? So, you know, and that's just, that's how it is. And that's how a lot of people are in this industry. So yeah, it's, you know, ripping the bandaid off and, you know, let's fix what their problem is and let's, you know, set some, you know, shed the light on it. And Rothschild was up there at least once a year for a while. We had to do a, a conference at this old strip mall yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was part of your territory. Yeah. 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 Still there. And it was you know, different, you know, rooms were divided up, which was a, a mall at one time. And yep, yeah, it was yep. interesting up there. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, you have so so diverse, you know, between agencies, you know, when I was in rural fire control, I mean, it was literally rural. I mean, we were out in the woods, you know, there was farms everywhere. You know, we had tank, we had, you know, our tanker tender, right. Mm -hmm. We had hookups to hook up to the, the local potato farm, you know, 
water for, you know, when we were doing anchor shuttles and stuff like that. So, you know, that, that's just what we did. And the farmers didn't care. They're like, well, if you're going to use it, just let me know, you know, and that, you know, cause half the farmers were on the department anyway, you know? So, and that was the thing. Like when I, when I was on RFC, we had a 1986 fire cat. It was a two seat engine that was double clutch with an overdrive. And that sucker, let me tell you, if you, and that's the thing, which is funny about, you know, generational differences, you know, I barely knew how to drive a stick. My wife taught me how to drive a manual, you know, stick shift when I was in college. Because if I wanted to use her Toyota Tercel, I needed to be able to drive a manual. So I'd never done that before. So yeah, I, she taught me how to drive to drive manual to drive her car to do what i needed to do you know when i was doing teaching stuff so when i got down to roc they're like okay we're gonna you know because everyone needs to know how to drive all the trucks right when you're you know in the rural department everyone everyone needs to know how to do everything because who knows who's going to show up so yeah so driving that sucker that was that was uh that was a chore you had to get your rpms a certain level and you it was a double clutch to get down. And then when you're over, I think it was like 45 or something, you could pull that overdrive button on the stick to get that <laughs> thing revving higher so you could get up and, you know, and then getting that sucker to pump, you know, that was the other thing. Like you had to, you know, you had to shift into a certain gear and then part, you know, it was just, oh, you had to be what you're doing. And, and that was the thing, like only certain people could actually drive that thing. So if we act at all and that engine needed to respond, which was not the first out, obviously. That was not the, you know, primary, you know. It had been, you know, 15 years ago it was the primary at the time. But right. it was now the second out, you know. So everyone would we get to the station and be like, okay, uh, you know. you Mark, you can drive you can drive the fire cat, can't you? I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't. I could drive it, you know. We let go for a ride at 35 miles an hour because this sucker is dragging a thousand gallons of water behind, you know, so, you know, don't, don't put the lights on and the sirens when we're on, you know, we're on the highway because, you know, other than just looking like you're going fast, we're not going the speed limit barely, you know, with that sucker. So, so, so the wells that you guys had to fill up from, um, was it? dry hydrants was it like a dry hydrant we actually well, I mean, were able were, to hook up they, yeah in the, in the potato fields um they had a they had their own separate pump i mean it was like a full-on pump oh, and really? you'd hook up, yeah you'd hook up stores connections and the whole nine yard to to this water pump because that sucker would throw out water to a field you know acres and acres in size so okay. they had big pumps on those suckers our dry hydrants that we had were ones that were closer to the ponds Sure. You know, so you'd have to blow them out first, which like, a couple of the younger people, <laughs> you know, I can't get it. this. I'm not getting a draft on this. Well, you got to blow it out, get water and then suck it back in. Well, right. is it the, which is, the, it's a whole nother process. And that's something, you know, you're talking about career departments versus volunteer departments. What, you know, being on, you know, Wasa fire here, we're, it's a, we're a municipal department full time. So, you know, there's almost 60 people on, on the crew, you know, three shifts, everyone's full time, you know, yada, yada, yada. We're all paramedics. We're all firefighter one and two, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, but let me tell you, a very small amount of those people know how to draft out of a, you know, dry hydro or even set it up, you know, or, or put your heart section on there with a float, you know, you know, we had, we used to have a tender that we'd actually gotten rid of. 
So before that, we, you know, had a tender and we had drop tank, you know, the whole nine yards. And we would do that once a year, you know, you, everyone would go through and everyone would learn how to, you know, do the drop tank, take the tank out. How do you, how, how do we open up this tank <laughs> properly? Right. What are we, how far away do we need to be to, you know, get the tender to dump, you know, all those different things and coordinate that, you know, process and then bring the engine over here and get the, you know, we're going to use the front section and we're going to use the side section. We're going to hook the hard section, get the float on there. Where's the float going to be? Tie the float to the side of the tank, you know, all those different things that, you know, in the rural departments do on a daily, you know, versus a municipal, rarely are you ever drafting unless right. you're at some sort of, unless you're on a mutual aid call and you've got a barn fire. But if that's what's going on, a municipal like we would we would come and help if we needed to but really we would turn down or we would not choose to participate on a barn fire because number one they take hours and number two you're taking full-time ambulance crews out of service to man the engine so you know you gotta and at that point listen the barn's gonna burn to the ground we're just going to make sure that the surrounding structures aren't going to go down. And do you really need us there for that? And nine times out of 10, it's, it's a no, right? Mm-hmm, we'll help mm-hmm. you set up initially if you really need us to get there because we can get there pretty quick because we're already, you know, at the station. But, you know, we, we want to bug out as soon as you guys, you know, are set up. All right, you got it. We're, we're, we're out, you know. Right. And we'd go back into service right away. So it's just a, it's a different thing. And, you know, talking about career versus volunteer, a lot of volunteers are like, Oh, you know, they think, you know, you know, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to stay in play. It's like, well, number one, we're getting told from on high, get your butt back into service. You know, if you're not needed, come back. You know, we all love putting fires out, but at the same time, you know, when you get into those barn fire situations and we, you know, we're not going to save anything. Yeah, it really becomes more of a operation of water movement at that point. That, right? Yeah, you're just it's yeah. shuttles, you know, and it's yeah. you know setting that whole thing up, and we don't need to sit here for that, you know. Unfortunately, there's big money taxpayers that are, you know, because we, I mean, that's the thing. Like when you're running ambulances, you know, we have we have three full time or we have three first line ambulances, but we also have two in reserve. So, and we, 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 get calls, we have over 7,000 calls a year. So 6,000 of those calls, uh, you know, they're EMS, you know, calls they're, you know, it's ambulance runs, it's not fire runs. So you, you know, we have to, we have to do a certain thing, right? We're, we're really paramedics that are part-time firefighters, you know, not really, we're not really firefighters that are also paramedics. You know, and that's a mentality that, you know, is is not quite understood in the fire service because everyone got into the fire service to be a fireman, right? I, you know, you want to pull hose and drag hose and take the axe and chop down things and open up roofs and, you know, do all the quote unquote cool stuff, right? No one wants to sit on the ambulance, you know, and be a Band-Aid agent you know but that's just that's just how it is and that's just the that's that's the business unfortunately unless you're on a big big department you know like milwaukee or 
you know, there's a few, I think Nina Menashe still does not have an ambulance. Appleton doesn't have an ambulance, at least not yet. Anyway, okay. I think it's one of those things like you want to continue to have a full-time department. You need to yeah. <laughs> bring in some revenue and uh, we're not going to pay gold cross anymore. You, you guys are going to, you got, you, you all are now going to be doing this kind of thing. So, um, I know for me, like I've had people ask me before, like, Hey Dan, you like this firefighting thing so much. Why don't you just do that as a career? I'm like, because you have to do the paramedic thing first. Yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. no and interest like said, in that. It's it, And like I said, that, that was hard. That was really hard, you know? And then on top, I mean, it's, it's one thing to pass your medic, right? It's a whole nother thing to, now you have to do refreshers and renewals every year and, you know, keep up to date with all these different things. I mean, we had, I can't even tell you, we, you know, 30, 40 different medications and then, you know, know the, know the dosages, know what the treatments, what's the, you know, side effects, what are all these different things, you know, mm-hmm. you know, doing intubations on people, you know, people, rapid sequence intubations, paralyzing people and then intubating them, you know, um, it's a whole different kind of realm when you go from EMT into a paramedic service. It is mm-hmm. night and day. Wow. And, and it's the expectations that, well, it's like anything in the fire service, you know, where jacks of jacks of all trades, masters of none. Right. Cause you, because, you know, cause we have to be firefighters. We have to be rope rescue technicians. We have to be vehicle extrication technicians. We have to be hazmat technicians. We have to be, you know, for, we have to find space. <laughs> exactly. We have to be fire prevention. You know, we got to be able to educate in the, in the community. We have to, you know, all these different things that we're supposed to know, be experts in. Cause that when the community calls on you to come to their home, help me, help me. They have no idea whether you're full-time or whether you're volunteer or whatever. Right. They have no idea. They're completely mm-hmm. oblivious to that. Most people think that everyone's a paramedic and most people think that everyone's a full-time firefighter. They have no idea that, you know, I may be a volunteer and, you know, I do my, you know, one or two trainings a month. You know, that's the thing. Like 9-11 you know, calls do not care. discriminate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, when I was an RFC, we, you know, I think we averaged like a couple hundred calls a year, you know, versus here in Wasta. Like I said, we're over, you know, almost 7,000. So it's just like, that's night and day, you know, and the, you know, the, the truly the biggest difference between volunteer and career is, is literal practice when you're doing it five, 10 times a day, every day that you're working five, 10 times every single day, blah, 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 blah. And doing training every single day for hours and doing your refreshers for hours every single day versus when I was, you know, on the volunteer side, you know, we'd have a training a week. Every training was a different topic, you know, and when I was chief, we would try to do a fire training one week. We would try to do EMS training the next week. And then we did a rescue training the week after that. And then it's, it's, I hope everyone can show up. And if mm-hmm. you can't, you can't, you know, Wisconsin still has the lowest hourly requirement for entry level firefighter in the country. Really? I was not yeah. aware of that. We are, we are number 50 out of 50. We still have entry level firefighter acceptance, right? If you want to mm-hmm. make, if you want to make entry as a firefighter with an SCBA, we still have that rule. 
every state in the country does not have that rule anymore. Every state in the country, you have to be a certified firefighter one to make entry into a building, huh. and not in Wisconsin. You know, wow, that's interesting. So, I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, people people like to you know complain about oh the training requirements and you know blah 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 they're too stringent. You know, well you, you know what we're 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 at the bottom. We can't we cannot go lower than where we're at. And I don't, it's going to come to a point where the insurance companies, because God knows lawyers are the ones that really rule everything. They're going to require that, you know what, if these are the, your ISO ratings, we're going to, we're going to do more than just insurance rates to ISO. We're now going to, you know, we're going to tie other things to ISO. And yeah. at that point, which is why a lot of communities are having a hard time with recruitment and retention. You know, back when I, you know, like I said, when my dad was a volunteer firefighter, you show up, here's your boots, here's your three-quarter boots, here's your turnout gear, you know. My dad bought his own Nomex hood because they didn't really, no, they didn't give out Nomex hoods back then. And he bought his own gloves because the gloves that they gave him were basically um, canvassed rubber. So he bought his own actual fire gloves. He bought his own Nomex hood. And he bought his own first pair of bunker pants. Wow! Because they were they had three quarter because it was three quarter length boots. You pulled right. your boots up, and you you didn't wear a Nomex hood. Why would you wear a hood? Because it you how the hell are you supposed to know how hot it is? Right. If your ears get hot, then you move out. Right? Yeah. If you start getting ears, yeah, you know when to get the hell out of there. Then that's just that's <laughs> that's a safety violation. You're you're putting all that insulation on your body. You're going to put yourself into too hot of an environment that's going to risk your life. And everyone else, yeah. <laughs> Times have changed. Well, I, but that's oh. but that's the thing, right? In the fire service, God forbid that you know we advance. You know what's the what's the the classic? You know, firefighters hate two things: the way the way things are and change. Right, right. I mean, that goes <laughs> yep. for everything. I mean, it's you know, that's just <laughs> you know. But that, yeah, go back to the seventies. That's exactly what the that's exactly what the argument was. You know, or don't what are you wearing a SCBA for? You got to, you know, the black lunger, you got to get your, you got to get used to that heat. You got to get used to the, you know, you got to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there are still departments. I knew a guy that uh, was down in Charleston, South Carolina. They still, well, this is, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but maybe 15 years ago, they were still training their new recruits on uh, smoke inhalation. They were doing smoke burns in a building with the new recruits. They would have to go in and they would sit there in the smoke. Really? Yes. Wow. I know one of the one of the um, older guys that was on uh, my department. One of the stories I heard was, you know, back in the seventies, if uh, or even probably the eighties, if you went for one of those SCBAs and you were a newer guy, you're like, eh, yeah, don't do that yet. You want to be labeled as weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember I got yelled at when I was on RFC. What? I got yelled at because I was cleaning. Um, there were some pike poles and some uh, axes that were on the side of the truck. And I got yelled at for cleaning them. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, what? These axes are ridiculous. You know, I'm cleaning this stuff. They're like, you're taking all the, you're taking all the, all the history out of them. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Technically, I guess that's true. You know, but it also looks like crap. You know, but. No, no, no. Don't clean that. Mm-mm. You leave that. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll leave it. No problem. Wow. No problem. This is, oh, 
This is good stuff, man. I, we, we can go on different topics forever here on stuff with you. I might have to have you on here on another show. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we could talk <laughs> for a long time. One thing I do want to bring up, though, is I want to talk about one of your latest accomplishments here. I've got a copy of a book you wrote and would like to know just a little bit about, hey, what if you want to give us a little overview of, hey, this is what this thing's all about and what kind of stemmed the idea to say, I'm going to write a book. Well, yeah, the book Too Dark 30, how to uh, basically it, it's a it's a how to book for all intents and purposes. So when I was uh, first well, actually, every fire department I've been on. So I've been on, what, four different departments now um, over 20 plus years. I always get pigeonholed as the training person because Mark was a teacher or is a teacher, right? Which is fine. You know, typecast. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. I, I enjoy teaching. I do. I, 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 I can talk. I love telling stories and, uh, you know, all those different things. So I was always pigeonholed into that person that, Hey, Mark's going to train everybody or Mark's going to, you have a question, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, how do we do this or how do we best, you know, train people, things like that. So fine. Yeah. Cause my background, my knowledge was on teaching and education. So after numerous years of this and after, um, when I was fire chief and redeveloping the whole training program that we had, just bringing people in, um, actually setting up a rigid, actual, you know, written in stone training program that, you know, our academy is going to be this many weeks and this is the topics and this is all those different things, like actually creating the training program. When I left being chief and went to WASA, again, same kind of thing happened. Hey, Mark was a teacher. Mark was a teacher. Mark was a teacher. So I was always getting the new people, even though technically I was new, right? But I was coming in with, you know, experience and stuff like that. So they would have me train all the new people. So we didn't have an actual preceptor role at the time when I started. Um, we do have one now. I was getting asked a lot because I was on B crew and I couldn't be on A and C crew at the same time. So I was getting a lot of questions like, Hey, how did you, you know, what did you do for this? Or how did you train that? You know, what, what, I saw you doing that the other day. What, what was that? Or, you know, how did this all go through? You know, all those different questions, lots of different questions. So I had, numerous emails and phone calls and explaining to people like, no, this is when you, when you, when you're, you know, evaluating someone, this is what I want you to look at. You know, this is what you should be looking for. You know, these kind of things, ask these types of questions. Don't do yes or no. You know, we're not looking for true false. I'm not looking for yes or no answers. You know, if I ask you, what are the medications we keep in the refrigerator? I want you to tell me what medications are in the refrigerator, not do we keep insulin in the refrigerator? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, no. You need to tell me which medications are in the refrigerator. And then there's a follow-up question is, hey, those questions, you know, whatever that, you know, insulin. Okay, we keep insulin in the refrigerator. Why do we keep it in the refrigerator? Right? What, what's the dose? What would be the reason why we would give? You know, give me, give me the reasoning behind that you know, different things. And a lot of people that are not, and it's not everybody. I mean, some people are just naturally good at, you know, uh, disseminating information, but for a lot of people, it's, you know, like, Oh geez, I never thought about it like that. Or, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about, you know, making it an adaption question, you know, or giving a, giving a person a scenario of, Hey, this is, we have a, you know, 80 year old patient, blah, 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 blah. What are you going to do? Right. What are the top three things you're going to look for? go 
tell explain to me, right? I want you to tell me your thought process. So after all those decisions and all those conversations and all that stuff, I hurt my back. I got two back injuries. I've now since yeah, well, tomorrow will be my year anniversary. I'm getting put to pasture because wow. I'm not I am not able to perform anymore according to the doctors. So really? Yeah. So over the two years, the last two years, I had I was laid up. So I had time sitting and you can only play so much Fortnite and get beat by 10 year old kids. So right. <laughs> uh, my wife, my wife was like, you need to, you need to do something, you know, you're miserable. And I, why well, was, I was miserable, you know? So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start, you know, I, I think I should write a book. I yeah. So I started jotting different ideas down and, you know, the, one that came up when my wife was like, you should write a book about being a teacher in the fire service. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the problem though, Sarah, there is a book it's called, you know, fire and emergency service instructor. You know, they got a <laughs> thick book already, you know, she's like, yeah, but your book should have stories. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. So then I sat there and I thought about all the different stories, right? All the different things. So that's where that that's where the book comes from. So the title, Too Dark 30, people are like, well, where does that title come from? Because all the crap hits the fan when bar, bar time closes. Mm -hmm. And military speak is 2.30 in the morning, right? Too Dark 30. Mm -hmm. So subtitle, right? Inspiring stories, right? So that's that's where that part comes in because every single chapter – of the 10 chapters that are in the book, every single one of them, I have stories. There's a story and then we talk about stuff. There's a story and then we talk about stuff. There's a story. Because I think, you know, having been a teacher for all these years, I think stories tell more and help people get context more about just sitting there and reading, you know, a PowerPoint or, you know. I definitely reading. agree. I mean, it's it's all the, I've taken a ton of different fire trainings and the ones that always stick in my head are, when there's a, a lesson that you're trying that you're learning, but then the instructor has got a story that applies to that lesson, and that's the part that sticks to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like you remember, you remember the lessons from the story. Um, you know, when I was teaching, I was always looking for stories about you know World War One, World War Two, you know, Civil War, all those different. I never lived through any of that stuff. I obviously, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not immortal, so I didn't live in Egyptian times, but let's tell a story. Let me tell you about the trial of Socrates. And Socrates was brought up on trial because he was influencing the youth of Athens and the people that were in charge didn't like the way that he was influencing the youth and they were questioning everything and, you know, all these different, he was a rebel rouser, you know, and the, the people, politics came into play and the people that, that were in charge didn't like the way he was doing. Those are all that's a fascinating story. Let's talk about Joan of Arc. Let's talk about, you know, why did Washington cross the Delaware? You know, there's more to it than just the, the painting. There's more to it than, you know, what was going on. The story tells you that more to it, right? Back in the radio, right? When we, we, you know, back in the old days when you had Paul Harvey, let me tell you the rest of the story, right? I mean, those are all stories. He didn't tell you who the he didn't tell you who the story was in the beginning. He told you, and that man was this, and you know, or, 
it's like, holy crap, I had no idea about that happened or, you know, all those different things. Sure. That's what stories so, do. Talk about the stories that you've got. I like to just kind of focus on the one, that story that gives the name of the book, kind of, if I remember correctly, um, when I read this book. So, you know, the, the name, the Two Dark Thirty, you, you're talking about a, a, a situation where you're going out as a paramedic call, right? And you talk about getting into a kind of a not a really nice household. And we see that a lot. Yes. We see that a lot here too. Sometimes you take a step and you're like, Oh, I'm washing my bunker gear as soon as I get back to the station. Right. Yep. yep. (laughs) So, so, so tell me a little bit about that call that you were on that you kind of describe in the book. Yeah. The beginning of the the book, I started off talking about, (laughs) So we, it was a frequent, you know, let's, let's use, you know, non-politically correct terms, frequent flyer. Yep. <laughs> someone, someone who I was on a first name basis with, you know, we get, we got calls to this, you know, guy's apartment every day, if not every other day. And it was always, he was, a uh, he was an attorney, he was an alcoholic, um, drug abuser, uh, all these different, just, you know, he was definitely down on his luck and um, in a definite spiral. And he was a younger guy too. It wasn't like he, you know, he was in his thirties at the time and he, he barely ate. He just drank, you know, he was, it was one of those kind of situations. And then as you can imagine inebriation, um, he'd end up urinating himself, you know, defecating and, he'd be covered in puke and, you know, his whole apartment reeked of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, you'd walk in. I tried to, I tried to set the paint, you paint the picture in the, in the story and in, in the book, you know, that, you know, you're walking through and your, your, you know, your shoes are sticking to linoleum, you know, yeah. that, yep. that, that, cause I, we all know that sound like that, yep. <laughs> you know, like, there is something on the ground here and I don't even want to know what it is, you know, and it's just, uh, and the smell, you know, and this, there's empty beer bottles and cans and, you know, vodka bottles. They're just, you know, plastic, the, the high quality plastic bottles, you know, mm-hmm. are all over the place, you know, and you know, who knows how many layers of newspaper it's just you know, classic. And in the room, he had a pet, um, one of those mini boa constrictors. Yeah. And which it's a boa constrictor. So there's, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, I actually, I don't know if it has teeth. I don't think they have teeth or they have, they may have, I don't think they have fangs or they have teeth, but they're not, it's not like a rattlesnake. The point of the story is it's a snake. Okay. I don't like snakes. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a big boy. And, um, it was at least, you know, four plus feet long and every time we went to his place it would it was in this giant aquarium you know big six foot aquarium um not water aquarium but you know one of those (laughs) aquarium and so it was you know it was always sitting in there and so that that night we were uh, it was back to back to back to back calls so yeah we got the address and we're like oh for great lot. okay you know, we, you know, you know who it is because it's, it's the address. Like, oh, for crying out loud. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's go see what's going on tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get over there, do the whole thing, and he's on the ground as usual. But this time he had 
fallen backwards or something and slipped if <laughs> you slipped on god knows what well, as he fell back he grabbed for that aquarium or you know put his hands out to stop himself right he and he knocked the aquarium over and as he knocked the aquarium over it shattered and obviously reptile out loose so we get there and we're you know we're walking around and i immediately see that hey not only is this guy, you know, full of, you know, urine and blood and puke and other assorted excrements, he's covered in glass from the aquarium shattering all over the place. <laughs> and then he was trying to roll around, you know, before he, because what he would never, he never would call us directly. He would just scream. Really? Yeah. He would just scream in his apartment. Help, 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 help. And eventually someone got tired of the screaming. And then they would call. Okay. Hey, such, and such apartment, whatever, you know? So he, so he was always getting, you know, it was always a third party caller, you know, because everyone got tired of listening to him yell, scream and holler. So he had rolled around too. So he was covered in glass, covered in every, you know? So yeah, that, uh, snake was loose and, uh, we loaded him <laughs> We loaded him up quick because I'm like, I listen, I don't have the time nor the energy to be looking around for your snake right now, you know? So we, we got out of there and that we, the cops were there too with us. So I'm like, good luck with that. You know, (laughs) we're out, you know, cause the other thing with, he would feed it, he would feed the snake mice and, um, he would feed it, uh, like crickets. And all okay. the, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And he'd feed it so much that the snake was huge. I mean, it was thick. It wasn't oh. like the snake was. He fed the snake more than he fed himself. So, <laughs> you know, this sucker was big and thick. You know, and uh, yeah, it was not. Uh, it was. It was. It ended up being. It ended up being fine. The cops found it and they cornered it and they actually got it into a bag and you know, they called animal services and they came and took okay it. that was my biggest question of what yeah. happened to the snake and everybody you know i i was toying with the idea of making a decal with a snake you know two dark 30 with a little snake decal you know that yeah because everyone always says what because i don't because i don't finish that part of the story because it's just you know it's the beginning of the book so i right. go into the important right. You know, the importance of knowing this is why it's called two dark thirty. You got to be able to know what you're doing, and as in this service, you you know, teaching is paramount. uh, To you know, you know, establishing what could happen at that hour. You know, when we're all rubbing our eyes and you know, like what what's going on here? What you know, adrenaline's pumping, but at the same time, it's I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Right. They say sometimes, oh, you guys, firefighters are brave. Like, no, actually, we're scared. We just sometimes follow through. But in that, yeah, in that situation, though, I don't know how I would have reacted. I may have just bailed on you and ran away with a really high pitched scream. Yeah. But there has been like snakes. I don't have a problem with snakes. Snakes is not my thing. (laughs) Now, spiders. Now, if you had a, you had, if you had like a pet tarantula rolling roost, you know, that's the size of your hand. Yeah, I'm going to be like, okay, you're going to come walk to me. If you can't walk to me, well, then drag yourself because I'm not coming in here with a giant train. I don't know where the heck it is or, you know, something like that. Oh, yeah. It's like my wife. She can't handle with, spiders. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's numerous times when I've had to use the EMS bag as, you know, a shield for dogs or, you know, whatever. For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, you know, because what happens a lot, and that, you know, talking about teaching, we would all, you know, people, you know, you'd always do, you know, lifting assistance and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. I never, we never truly had a lifting class when I was in paramedic school. Like, you talk about it. Here's the PowerPoint, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Same and, here. You know, I would say a ton of our calls are for lifting assistance. It's always, you know, yeah. half of them are lifting assistance, and half is. Yeah. Let me tell you, after having hurt my back, call for lifting assistance. You know, so it's it's something that needs to be taught. So that was always something I would always get the new whenever I was assigned someone. It's like, okay, we're gonna go get the 180 pound dummy. I'm gonna put them in in a bathtub. Uh-huh. All right, now you and me are gonna we're gonna we are I'm gonna show you how, how what are some things we can do to get this person out of a bathtub. And this is only 100, 180 pounds, which is light on the side of right, a lot right. of people we end up seeing, you mm-hmm. know? So, or I make them. Now you're going to, because I'm 250 pounds. So now you're going to drag me, you yeah. know? So <laughs> when we would do, we, we do like writ stuff, right? Yeah. All right. Mark's, you're going to drag me out of the building. Now yeah. you're going to, Tie a, tie a hasty harness tight. Here's your webbing. Get your webbing out. How, how are you going to tie me up or, you know, put, put people into situations, you know, uh, SCBA, you know, knowing the RCBA inside and out. So go into a dark room and, you know, go through putting your SCBA back together again. Like literally you can't see a thing. Now you have to just mm-hmm. add when I, when I was growing up, he would always make us or make me and the other Cub Scouts, he would make us tie a bowling under a table with gloves on that's smart do it do it right mm-hmm. now you know you know he'd throw me a piece of rope you know all right tie me a bowling it's just like oh okay hold on yep. uh, uh, and with uh, gloves uh, on is key too you know? and that's the thing that's a he don't do it with your gloves on because yeah. when you're in a fire you're not gonna take your gloves off to tie that knot right you're gonna you're gonna do yep. it with your gloves on so you better know how things feel with your gloves on and that, you know, those are all little training things. It, it doesn't matter if you're full-time or volunteer. Those are all things that you should, those are things that you should be doing. You should be doing everything with your gloves on constantly, always with your gloves on. You know, when I, and when I was playing football, get your helmet on. Don't take your helmet off. What do you think? You know, that was always the rule, you know, never, never sit on your helmet. Get your helmet on. What are you doing? You're not, if you're not going to be out here with your helmet, we're playing football. This is what we're doing. That's the same thing when you're training. Get your get your bunker gear on. Yeah, you're gonna get hot. Yeah, you're gonna sweat through it. Yeah, yeah, you are. Because you're gonna need to do that when the crap hits the fan at two dark thirty, and you and I are the only ones here, and we have to man this two and a half inch hose line. You know, whatever's going on. Yeah, that's it. It's just you and me until someone else happens to show up. Right. So we need to be able to learn and understand how to take care of a situation when you're by yourselves, you know, but, you know, before the rest of the cavalry arrives. Going back to your book here, you know, I read through the book. Um, I would recommend it uh, for anyone who is doing training in their department, um, especially officers. And I think one of the things we were talking about beforehand here is how, you know, it's right now uh, to become a state certified fire officer one, you need to um, take a fire instructor class as well. Yep. yep. And uh, I took the class through Madison College. I, thought, I actually thought it was a, a pretty good class. I heard it changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, 
uh, from some of the others that have taken it before, and it's improved a lot in the last couple of years. But uh, it's true. I felt that uh, getting that fire instructor course and um, just kind of reinforcing just how to how to relate with other folks, knowing what your audience is, and um, knowing that um, to explain what needs to be done and why on the fire ground is so important, or actually before the fire ground, so that when you're on the fire ground, things go smoothly. And whether we, we, we think we're in our training division or not, or we're uh, the, the trainer, um, we're all we're all teaching each other and we're all showing skills and trades. And um, it's important to, to develop some of those skills. And I think that uh, some of those skills were reinforced through your book and I learned some new concepts as well. And uh, I think it was, it was a good read. So uh, thank yeah, you for and putting Yeah, and I tried to, number one, tell stories, right? Number two, the other thing I wanted to do with the book was I, I wanted it to be easy, an easy read. So, you know, I definitely, it was more what they call conversational, right? It'd be like you and me talking. That's how I wrote the book. You know, it's not super jargony, you know, right. information-y kind of, you know, like a you know typical textbook. It's like, wait, I just read a whole paragraph and I don't understand what that just, I try not to do that. And if mm-hmm. I did try to explain, it's like some of the, you know, educational concepts, I tried to, you know, put it into simple terms. That's only a couple sentences. And this is the basis here. This, you don't, yeah, they write, they write entire books on, on this subject that I'm going to cover right. in three sentences. Yes, absolutely. They do, you know, but the basis, the nuts and the bolts, the, you know, get to the point kind of a thing. This mm-hmm. is what you need to remember, right? Because yeah. that's, that's really what, what it comes down to. So, you know, when I was writing the book, I was, I was like, okay, what if I'm, if I'm just like you said, if I'm new or if I found myself being voluntold to be in a position where, you know, Hey, you're going to be training these people tonight, or, Hey, you're going to be doing this and you're now an officer and you, you know, whatever. I wanted something that someone could use as a resource. So you could go back to it over and over and over again. It was easy to understand, easy to read. And at the same time, actually conveyed the message that was the essence of those entire textbooks. Like, like I said, yeah, they have a fire and emergency instructor book and it is like thousand pages and yeah, it is thick. Does it need to be right? You know, and that, and that's the thing, like we're, you know, that course is a good course and yes, they've made changes to it. But at the same time, do I need to really have the gigantic theories about, you know, all these, no, you know, do you know what they're talking about? Yeah. To a point, you know, it's Bloom's taxonomy. What's the higher order thinking skills? What's Gardner's, you know, levels of intelligence? Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. all these? Okay, yeah, you can kind of use those things, but at the same time, I try to show you how you can use those things. So, like, you know, using you know, like Gardner's intelligences or Bloom's taxonomy, you know, like I said before, d- let's not do yes or no questions. Tell me why this is the situation. Give me an example of something. Describe to me when. You know, those are all higher order levels, you know, questions that require you to have the knowledge, be able to adapt the knowledge and explain what's going on. Right. Because so, it's one thing as, a, as an officer, it's one thing to say, OK, this is what our plan is. This is what we're going to do. Everyone should understand why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we're not going to go around knocking every window in this house out. 
until we have a hose line established. If there's an inside crew that's going on, we're not going to, you know, create a blowtorch. We, we're going to control the flow path, right? We're going to do all these different things. We're not just going to go freelancing around thinking that we're helping by breaking every window out in the house, you know? Mm. So we need to have the knowledge first, then we need to apply that knowledge so that we have now the skill to accomplish whatever task it is that we're assigned to do. And those are all things that a teacher needs to do. And if you're an officer, then yeah, you're the teacher. You're, you're supposed to be the one that is explaining what's going on. You're supposed to be the one that's, you know, in charge of the drill that night. You're supposed to be the one that, you know, has to, like you said, the audience, right? Because if you're in a volunteer department, if, or if you run a, on, a, on a professional department, if you're in a career department, you know, we had people that were 18, 19, well, not 18, but like 19, 20, 21 years old that came in with no experience. This is the first full-time job they've ever had. And we had guys that were on the, you know, latter end of their, you know, career. They're, you know, trying to coast not to get hurt so that they're retiring in the next six months. It's a huge discrepancy. It's the same thing when I was fire chief in Rothschild. You know, I had 18, 19, 20-year-old people, and I had people that were in their late 60s at 72 years old, still contributing. All I want to do is drive. All I want to do is you know, run the pump. And you know what? That's fine. I don't, I, I don't, I, would I love for you to be able to go in and help in a two in, two out rule? Absolutely. But you know what? I am a realist and I understand what's going on here. But you know what? If you, if you want to just drive and run the pump, that takes someone else who I can now put into that house. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I know a lot of people are, oh, you know, we're, we need, everyone needs to be the same certification. Everyone, listen, beggars can't be choosers. Right. We can't, we can't just throw everyone, you know, we can't throw the baby out with the, with, you know, with the bathwater. We, we have to work with what we're, what we're given. And especially if you're in a chief role, if you're an officer role, what, what am I getting? What am I, what's, what's arriving here that mm-hmm. I know their skill levels and I know what to do. And I can put the best people in the best position possible to have the best successful outcome. Yep. Right. Yep. I know we've, we've done that too. We've kind of uh, set up some different standards for what we'll call interior versus exterior firefighters. Right. Right. And there's still, there's still a job if um, you know, for an exterior firefighter, there's still job for them on the fire ground. Yeah. Uh, running the pump, getting tools, yep. keeping yep. track of uh, you know, uh, the water that we're using, Yep. Um, being a water officer, all those types of things, right? Yep. So, yep. Just being you know. a safety officer on the side. Like yep. you were saying, it's, you know, it's everyone's job. We're all safety officers, right? We're all supposed to, uh, that's been kind of the embedded thing, you know, for many, many years now. Everyone's a safety officer. You see something, you say something. You know, hey, the, you know, roof's pitching or it's, she's starting to sag. What, mm-hmm. Say something. Don't keep it to yourself. You know, tell someone that, you know, you see something. Well, you know what? We're all teachers too. Besides being a safety officer, we're also, every one of us is a teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how successful we are as teachers, though, can can vary in degrees. So, you know, that's why that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted that's to awesome. be able to, I wanted to be able to give what I know and what I have learned in, you know, the last 20 plus years, um, try to disseminate the information and the knowledge that I have so other people can can glean something from it. You know, and I talk about my mistakes in the book too. I like, <laughs> you know, there's a, I mean, you learn more from screwing up, you know, I'd rather yep. have you learn from my screw ups than you repeat the same screw up that I had. So sure. 
Well, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing those, those stories. I, I appreciated that as well. All right. So uh, we're getting close on, on time here. Uh, I guess the, the one follow-up question I'd have for you is, uh, so what are your, what are your plans from here? I know you're dealing with this, this injury. Um, yeah, you know, you, you've got this, this book out, are there, are there other books you're looking at or, you know, what, yeah, what are some of your future plans from here and, and goals? Well, I, I've been toying with another book idea. Not sure if I want, there's a couple books I was going to, okay. I was thinking about writing a book about failed leadership, you know, not to be a fire chief, you know, all the, all, all the, all the, all the things that I screwed up when I was fire chief, um, which is literally is a book in a, unto itself. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of books about leadership. I don't, there's not many books about failing. Let me tell you about how I failed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I was thinking about that. I was also thinking about, uh, writing another book that kind of co-ops this book of more advanced you know teaching techniques you know, stuff like that outside of book writing i mean i i have the the workbook that goes with the book so yep. um and actually i use that so um <laughs> i do i do a couple <laughs> drills a year and i just kind of use the glance through to say you know am i capturing the audience of everyone here um am i am i thinking this through properly because we've got people that have just started and we've got guys that have been on for 30 years and, you know, uh, trying to find that balance between um, covering the topic that you have and the amount of time you have where everybody gets something out of it. Yeah. 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 And the big thing too, is how you disseminate that information because in the fire service, I know we're all, besides being type A, a lot of us are tactile learners. We all like getting our hands. Let me try to break that thing, you know, whatever whatever it is. So, you know, you tell a firefighter that you can't break something. Oh, you watch. Let me, <laughs> just give me five seconds. Hold on. Let me, I will, yeah. I will point out to you how this thing is a piece of junk. Let me tell you. Let me, the five things you can improve with this tool, you know, they need, yeah. you know, so it's, you don't want to sit by a death by PowerPoint in mm-hmm. the fire department. It's fine having PowerPoints. I'm not saying don't. I use PowerPoints all the time. Those are talking points. PowerPoints, literally, PowerPoint was made to do talking points. It was never made to take notes. And, you know, people throw so much information and the text is, I can't even read that. There's so many, there's so many right. things on that. That's right. not, that's, that is completely not the purpose of PowerPoint. When, when Microsoft know, was, designed uh, the PowerPoint application, it was meant to be a visual displays that, uh, you know, added value to what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> not to be screens full of words. <laughs> no, no. Not. And that's what people, they, I mean, cause they don't know how to use it. So, I mean, that's one of those things, you know? So yeah, have a PowerPoint fine. It should only take, you know, 15, 20 minutes to introduce your topic, talk about what we're doing, then get your hands on it, you know, do a, do a yep. display or have a video talking about whatever you're talking about, you know, little change it up. Then another 20 minutes, do something out. You got to keep changing what you're doing so that everyone's not sitting there being bored out of their mind and forgetting, you know, have the glossy eyes because that, mm-hmm. that is exactly what happens, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you're telling the idea to do another book and those kind of things. Yep. I'm, I'm, te- I'm talking. I mean, I was down in Baraboo doing, um, an in-house training okay. with them, uh, doing field training officer stuff. Cause that's what, that's what the book talks about is how to be a teacher. So, you know, um, developing and coordinating a, you know, preceptor program, how to, you know, 
what are the best ways to be a teacher? Let me, I, you know, so I do that talk, you know, successful strategies for the field training officer. I've done that talk numerous times at different conferences. I was just down in Ohio, did the same talk down there to the Ohio fire chiefs conference. Um, then in, I'll be going down to Louisiana actually and doing that same talk uh, in February at oh, really? their conference. Yep, I'll be down in Louisiana doing that. Um, but I'm also doing another talk as well about uh, generational differences and how we okay. can best disseminate information between the generations. And it's not just everyone loves to complain about generation, you know, millennials and Gen Zs now. Oh, they, yeah. well, every generation complains about every generation prior. That's yeah. That one, well, that's going to be in Louisiana. And then I'm also, okay. that one, I'm also talking about um, at the Wisconsin Instructors Conference, which is going to be down in the Wisconsin Society of Emergency Service Instructors Conference. Sure. I'm a part think, of that group. I should yep. take a look and see when that is. Yeah. You know, Black Hawk. Retention. It's in Janesville. Yeah. So I'll be down there at Blackhawk Tech um, doing that same talk about generational things, but I'm also talking about, um, NFPA 1700 as well, using how to use that best in a department, things like that. Okay. Um, so I'll be talking down at that conference in February, and then I'll be going to Louisiana the following week, um, talking about those other topics as well. So Very good. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, I'm also the um, people over at the First Responder Behavioral Health Institute, which is a new online uh, learning um, institute they they try to do uh, all kinds of different things you know some of their stuff is like with stress ptsd um, okay. uh, mental health uh, issues but they're also going to be including uh my course so basically a course that's completely designed around my book um so that'll actually be a course that you can take uh online they're out of texas they're out of uh, waco uh, but it's going to be online anyway. So, I mean, it's not like there's no residency require, <laughs> requirement or anything like that. Um, so that, so the course, it'll be, it'll be a full 16 week course. Um, the book will be like the textbook. It'll have the workbook uh, to it. And then we'll, we'll go through the whole thing. We'll talk about, you know, best, how to best strategies for teaching in, in, you know, emergency services. So it's not just, you know, not just fire and, you know, but EMS as well and, and police and, you know, things like that. Because um, knowing how to teach and then applying it to whatever your specific skills sets are, that's uh, really what the goal is. So, Right. That's awesome. Sounds like you get uh, a busy Irons schedule coming fire. up, some cool things. And uh, I tell you what, so when, with each one of my podcast episodes, I try to do some resource links with it as well. So, yep. you know, if you got some of those links about, hey, I'm going to go be going here or um, any other information that I can and, uh, post on with your episode here, uh, please send that to me. And uh, all you that are listening, check out the each page for each episode. I do have resource links out there if you want to dive more into one of the subjects that was brought up here. Maybe we just touched on it. Um, I might have some more resources there for you. So. Yeah, yeah. My I have a book website. It's, it's just what the book is. It's two dark thirty dot com. The number two and the number thirty written out. T W O D A R K T H I R T Y. Um. So that is the All main right. book site, but it's also my main site. So, like, if people um, if they want to request, like, I do one on one. 
uh, like Zoom talks, uh, or I can do, you know, I've done online training talks, you know, talking about different concepts. Um, or if, you know, like some departments have uh, had me come in, uh, you can request that kind of stuff too. So okay. I'm more than happy to come and, and try to help out in any way, <laughs> any way, shape, and form I can. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people that I, I don't like the word expert. I hate it. I think it's stupid. Mm-hmm. I, no one's an expert. And if someone tells you they are, they're a liar. Because no way that you know everything. <laughs> there's absolutely no way to know everything about every single subject, whatever that subject is. I mean, there's always stuff to learn. So yeah, yeah. I can tell you what I know. I can tell you what's worked for me. And I can, you know, help you the best I can. Doesn't mean that I am 100%, you know, know everything. Because I don't. So, you know, if you've got something that works well, awesome. You know, maybe I can, yeah. maybe I can learn something from you too. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's what life's all about for me anyway. Awesome. Well, Hey, this has been fantastic. Um, been really enjoying talking with you about these and yeah, there's a lot of subjects we can talk about, but, uh, it's, it's been great. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on, on this show and for, um, all the information that you've got for this, for the fire service and improving the fire service. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And like I said, you know, if you ever want to get a hold of me, we can talk all all the time. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Sounds awesome. I might take you up on that. (laughs) All right. All right. Thank you.